So, boys, how are you enjoying Mayweather? How are you enjoying the either rain or unabating sun? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Falling down Beautiful. on you. This is the mm. best time of year in Texas, usually. Mm. It's, it hasn't quite gotten to the summer 100-plus degree days, but the mornings are gorgeous. Mm. The evenings are gorgeous. The middle of the day can be a little bit warm, but like so far, mm. I think it's supposed to be maybe 82 degrees today, which is not bad mm. at all. Yeah. I don't know what that is in common it, units. It, it, is is this tornado season over there or not yet? Yeah, we've had a couple of warnings. Normally, oh, we, we're in this area that doesn't see many tornadoes. We'll get the warnings every once in a while, but they go to mm. the to the east and west of us, luckily. Mm. All right, very interesting. Uh, could you explain to me why American houses like fall apart <laughs> like a, a house of cards whenever tornadoes come by? Are tornadoes that powerful or is, is American construction shoddy? Yeah, you don't want to heck with tornadoes. They're, they're nasty. But also, yes, American houses are made of uh, spit, toothpicks, and cardboard. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're not very rigid <laughs> structures. Mostly, you know, wooden frames and stuff. So that it's mm. it's it's cheap pine two by fours basically for the structure, and then it's a, a like a basically a veneer of brick mm. on the outside. So uh-huh, they're not not I super see. sturdy. How do you change like if there's a hole in the wall? Like uh, how how do you fix that? Because probably there's a lot of holes in you guys' homes because it's made of yeah. cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's drywall. Um, so you know, sheets of drywall go over the the the. Okay, so you've got your wood frame, you've got yep. your insulation in between that, and then you've got drywall over that. Okay. Um, and so you just basically, you have a dude come out, or do it yourself if you're handy. You cut out a, like a square section of the drywall, replace it with a fixed piece of drywall, spackle over it, and then paint it to, to the same color. And it's usually, usually you can't tell. But yeah, we get a lot of, a lot of holes in the wall. Uh, growing up, my friends would always have holes Proper in their white walls. White boy for, vibes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> throwing, throwing controllers, which they'd then like, put mm-hmm. a poster over so their parents wouldn't see it and stuff. The classic Shawshank white boy experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason I'm asking is because in this new apartment that, I'm, uh, that I uh, live in now, uh, all the walls are also, what did you call it? Uh, Drywall. Drywall, yeah. And it's extremely practical because you can Mm -hmm. literally change your walls whatever way you want. But behind it, there is sturdy communist beton, like proper proper strong 1970s, 1980s uh, brick construction that, I don't know, nine uh, Richter uh, earthquakes would not uh, move uh, by an (laughs) an inch. But but me knowing knowing my temper tantrums and shit, I'm already expecting holes in all the walls over the apartment so i just want to know how to properly do it but apparently you know the the people that that painted the walls did also didn't uh didn't paint them with uh the um, you know paint that you can clean off of you know with just warm mm. water and shit yeah maybe that's because it's on a drywall maybe that's why uh, but uh, I already have a few stains that you know nobody would ever notice. But when it's your own home, you yeah. really are fucking angry about them, and have no idea what to do about them. Like, what is like paint the only option? I guess uh, common section uh, contractors or like construction workers or interior designers. Please tell me in the comment <laughs> section below, and I'll follow your your shit. But speaking of May or whatever, it's it's super weird here because I have like um, which is something that everybody wants. Uh, I have like government sanctioned uh, heating right 
So mm. you know, it, it just heats all year, all year round, and then they calculate at the end of the at the end of the winter just how much heating the whole building has spent, and then they divide it equally amongst uh, huh. uh, amongst all the all the netizens, and they uh, they charge you or whatever. But you know, you can leave it on, you can leave it off, depending on what your view is towards eco friendliness, or like how big your bill you want to be or whatever. But the problem with this is uh, the rule for when they turn it off is when you have ten consecutive days of uh, of warmth which made absolute sense mm. in the 70s and 80s and 60s pre <laughs> yeah. this absolute fucking insane climate disaster <laughs> so now like it, there was 10 straight days of uh, of heat of like plus uh, uh, 18 degrees or whatever the rule was and they stopped the heating and then immediately the day after it's fucking five degrees outside and all the walls <laughs> are cold and it's all shit yeah and it's raining and it's 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 I, I turned on all the acs in order to you know heat up the apartment or whatever the fuck thank god i had them but you see how this like uh, old rule which makes sense it makes sense uh, needs to apply it needs to adjust to the new uh, environmental uh, situation we all find ourselves in and you see people say oh you know you, uh, the, the privileged do not uh, feel the consequences of environmental disaster <laughs> and i'm here to tell you you know people that have their <laughs> homes flooded and their their crops burn and so on i am also feeling your pain i am slightly <laughs> cold for the last two days it is awful <laughs> I had to put on some <laughs> socks. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I never wear socks around my house or flip flops. Uh, and yes, I actually had to put on socks. Like I, I never wear socks at home. <sighs> Truly, no one has mm. suffered as much as you. This Man, is it's unbearable. Fucking, I swear, it's horrendous, bro. <laughs> uh, no, I, I have. I've had uh, other woes. Uh, where basically one of the days where I, I, I'm basically either indoors at home or indoors at work. Uh, and the one day I had shit to do all day outside, it decides to just piss fucking rain <laughs> <laughs> all over me. And this is what irritated me is that like it, it was it almost spited me. I went into to get some groceries. That when I went into groceries, it's like the skies parted, yeah. right? Yeah. And the sun began shining through, and everything was beautiful. Two seconds after I step back outside, it starts fucking pissing <laughs> down, raining. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you've done something to deserve that. the treatment. Yeah. The only time I yeah, talk like much, directly yeah, to God, like as if he's you know like a, a like a human <laughs> being, is when like rain catches me in the middle of the street. And I just stand there and I look up at the sky. I'm like, really? I mean, come on, really? Uh, obviously, because it's a small thing, so yeah, it's not uh, too yeah. bad uh, of a conversation to have. But uh, nah, nah, it's uh, it always gets you right at the at the moment when you uh, when you either really don't want Least it or you it. Yeah. or you want it, and then it doesn't happen. I had another story. I don't know if I, I don't know. There's, there's another story. This happened also many years ago. For some reason, I'm feeling very nostalgic today with my stories. It's probably because I worked, uh, like I did department work. So it's basically, uh, what's it called? Uh, glorified secretary work that I've been doing uh, today. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share both of them in case you had a bad day today. So you can realize that, you know what? Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> my day wasn't so bad. Um, you're not that cold. Many years ago when I was a student. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, many years ago when I was a student, uh, I got uh, basically uh, uh, and a very friendly invite from uh, an acquaintance of mine. They're like, you know what? Uh, they're also a doctor. I'm like, you can come with me in the clinic, uh, and I can show you how to do some stuff. And one of the things that he wanted to do was a ascites tap, which is basically when you have fluid buildup mm. uh, in the abdominal cavity, and then you basically put a needle and you drain it. I'm being incredibly simplistic, just to Yuck. for the story's sake, but. Uh, yeah, and I had to do this at like two in the morning um, on this uh, old, um, very out of it man. Uh, he didn't he didn't know what was going on, uh, and 
It was a very cold day, I remember, uh, and uh, the clinic or any any hospital, just anywhere in the world, is always freezing. I don't know why. Mm. Um, it's either freezing or it's like hellfire. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's never comfortable. Um, so I uh, I do the tap and I, I start getting the fluid out, uh, and uh, immediately afterwards I'm like, oh, what is this pleasant sensation? And I realize that all this warm ascites fluid is dripping uh, onto my socks, oh, soaking oh, my shit. socks and feet. <laughs> And it took me, it took me maybe two minutes of that to realize because it was the first time I was doing it. I said, so, so I was so focused on the technique, uh, <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> notice. That it's fucking, um, that's number one. Uh, another time, this was also years ago, uh, or not years ago, but it was a while ago. Uh, I go to do a spinal tap on a, on a patient in the emergency ward. And, uh, I, uh, this, this guy was very, very bony. So normally you'd think that would go uh, a lot easier. Uh, but he had a, um, he had scoliosis. Mm. So it was, uh, very difficult to, to, to get it right. And instead of getting, uh, instead of getting the, 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 uh, needle into uh, the space that I'm supposed to get into to get the cerebrospinal fluid out, um, I accidentally hit like one of the paravertebral, paravertebral, uh, arteries or a, a vein. I don't know. I think it was more vein. Uh, and, uh, like, I don't know if you guys have probably never seen a spinal tap before, but you're supposed to stick it in. And then afterwards, you have like a little thing, a sounding rod almost that you pull out. And then you see like drops coming out of clear fluid. And that's how you know you got to oh, the God. CSF fluid. Uh, <laughs> and that's like the moment of truth always. So I go to pull out this sounding rod looking thing. And instead of the drops of uh, of uh, clear uh, fluid like water, I just hear blood starts spurting I'm, I'm like, oh, fuck, oh, shit. I, I'm oh. never going to the hospital. <laughs> I am never going to the hospital, like ever, like every next story. I know I'm repeating a joke that I did in 50 fucking episodes here, but genuinely, like there can be, there can be like a cucumber sized fucking mushroom coming out of my dick and I will not go to the fucking hospital, man. I heard something the other day that made me feel really confident in in, in Mm. doctors and stuff. In healthcare? Yeah, it was, um, the guy was like... Well, why why do you expect doctors to do any better at their job than you do at yours? Like, how oh, often shit. do you oh, fuck up at your job? Like, oh, Jesus Christ, you're mm. right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Alhamdulillah, we have, I think uh, there's a certain, like, uh, competence level that's required of you through all your licensing and whatnot. So you'll never, like, the worst doctor is a doctor that'll still get everything, should get everything right yeah. uh, with your treatment. Um, uh, that's what the cops say bad, about bad themselves, problem. you know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but we also we don't kill minorities, or at least we don't try well. to. <laughs> Which is worse? Like, which one is worse? One would think. Oh my god, I love it. But yeah, um, now what was I gonna say? I remember uh, uh, some family member sent me a meme uh, a while back, and I was like, "Yeah, I felt I was confident about the surgery that I was gonna go into until I walked into my doctor's office and saw him closing the Wikipedia page for bones." <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The D Program. Uh, This show could not happen without the generous support of our patrons. Please do check out the links below. Today, we're taking a break from the doom pill and discussing completely for the sake of rhetoric what in our eyes a post-capitalist world 
could look like, but not just through, you know, larger material analysis of broader society, but also about how it would impact the everyday little things uh, that us tiny humans get up to on the daily, like obviously work, but also family, friendships, transportation, food, entertainment, accommodation, travel, tech, art, space exploration, adventure, and many other aspects of ideology of infused parts of life. So let's start with the thing that we talk about here on the show basically all the fucking time. Shit. Food. Oh, yeah, oh. And, and balls, but, but uh, they're not as ideologized. Actually, shit is kind of ideologized, you know, you, but no, you shouldn't eat shit. I'm trying, I'm trying <laughs> to think, think, like, maybe <laughs> people don't eat shit because they, they've been, like, led into thinking that shit is bad, but no, shit is actually bad. No, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah, kids don't eat shit, so please. Um, but, yeah, the, the first kind of topic that we can cover on how, what it would look like uh, speaking generally in a post-market, post-capitalist uh, society, we can start off with is uh, is food, uh, and I guess I can start off with my uh, my hot take or whatever, and that's that you know the commodification of food is one of the most glaring and absurdly unnatural aspects of uh, capitalist ideology camouflaging itself as uh, normalcy. Uh, we have, without even blinking, taken the same food item, repackaged it a million times, repriced it five million times, and presented it to the wider public as separate and competing commodities. Mind you, in a period of history when we can determine to a fault what the nutritional value of every single single food item is, when we can develop 50 different variations of the same pickle, when we have the logistical and technological mm -hmm. capacity of bringing every single one of those pickle varieties to every single community in the world, and yet we decide to turn it into a market competition where you're not picking based on the pickle itself, but how much you like the random, I don't know, picture of some babushka they chose to print on the jar, or how trendy <laughs> those particular pickles are right now. Not only that, but like you have uh, corn and olives competing with pickles because the industry behind them would prefer you buy one over the other as, you know, the, a salty, savory snack, even though you get yeah, corn isn't that salty. But it, it, a distributive system, on the other hand, of food, not unlike what we have established and developed for water and electricity in most of the world, would not only be, you know, more ethical, but it would be more practical, healthier, and unironically actually give you more choice over what you want to eat. And, and, you know, sure, if you if you like it so much, we can continue to put uh, funny little colors and pictures on the jars and packages that uh, get delivered uh, to your door or to the communal space from which you can uh, which you can get that uh, that food from. And already like in, in capitalism, in large cities like uh, for my work, I remember reading in Paris over 70 percent of all grocery shopping is done through uh, pre predefined delivery through websites and through delivery boys or specific pickup locations. So a non-exploitative, technologically advanced, socialized system for uh, for food uh, is already evidently uh, possible, but without the exploitation and with uh, an injection of, uh, of uh, more developed technology is an objectively not something that we need to fantasize about but something that we very much so have the capacity of uh, of developing and implementing 
I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I, that's, I was just going to say, I was like, yes, exactly right. He do be spitting. I have nothing Let to him say. cook. Let him cook because food. <laughs> oh, my God. No, stop. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it's, it is true, though. Like, we, if I go to the grocery store here, you guys tell me how severe it is in your place, but everyone's seen the pictures of American supermarkets, like specifically cereal aisles. You've got like 600 variants of cereal, and you can look on the back and like, oh, this is made in the same factory as this one and this one and this one and this one. Even mm-hmm. though they're like 30 different brands, they're all owned by the same corporation. It's just the illusion of choice. You're eating the same cardboard, yeah. just in different shapes. No, exactly right. It's very similar, I think, like the world over, but in the highly... Uh, industri- not industrial, but the high- highly developed uh, capitalist nations, I think it's much more centralized. Mm. You, st- you do see that progression of centralization of capital going from the imperial periphery to the imperial core. And that's because a lot of people, I think even to this day in most third world countries, quote unquote third world countries, I mean the imperial periphery, uh, get at least some of their groceries from some, you know, either local market uh, or some guy they know down the street, uh, to reference the the, the Yugopnik Rakia mm. uh, example, Um for example, with us, it's uh, olives uh, or um, vegetables, for example. Uh, meat, a lot of the time, uh, in a lot of third world countries uh, or imperial periphery countries, you don't go to a meat, you don't go to a grocery store to get prepacked meat. You go and you buy a specific, like a goat or whatever, or, or a sheep or something like that. Uh, and then you, you uh, pay, you buy it, you pay for the butcher to butcher it, and then break up the meat into exactly how you want, and then you just throw that in the freezer. Um, Wait, that's where meat comes from? Which from actual animals? <laughs> Wait, you're telling me no, no. you're telling me that chicken, the food, and chicken, the animal, is the same thing? Are you? Are you kidding? Oh damn, <laughs> <laughs> bro! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this <laughs> is <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> can, people can tell that this isn't the what's it called the Doomer Pill episode because yeah, we're not being we're all uh, having a great uh, time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We're not being astute and analytical. We're, we're, we're making fucking vine noises. It's so stupid. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, moving on a little bit from this one, um, still in the food category, but one pet crusade of mine is would be the total eradication of high fructose corn syrup and, and uh, similar products from food and drink. Corn syrup is dirt cheap, and it's super common um, to be included in just about everything in the United States, um, and it makes food very sweet and and very addictive. <laughs> I should know mm. with my Dr. Pepper addiction. I try to kick <laughs> it like every month. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm done. No more Dr. Pepper. And then I'm like, well, maybe maybe I deserve a little treat for for finishing my work early. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it's it's very difficult. But anyway, my my granddad worked for ADM, um, selling sugar and other sweeteners to massive corporations like Coca-Cola. It is an obscenely lucrative industry. Uh, His job was to take the clients out to dinner, um, like, you know, Coke bigwigs and stuff, or entertain them with a round of golf on the company's dime. And he would Mm. take this company credit card and he would routinely spend multiple thousand dollars a night on food and alcohol just to keep these people happy. So they'd continue to buy millions of pounds of their product. Like he's he's he talks a lot, and he every time I go to visit him, he'll tell me some some absurd story where he's like, "Yeah, I was hanging out with the the VP of sales for the you know southeast of Coca Cola, and we went to this this steakhouse. You know, bought you know, two hundred dollar steaks. Um, after you know five hours later, after hanging out for a while, we said, you know what, just go go back to the bar, bring us like six of your best bottles of vodka, 
uh, charge us for those, and we'll just take them with us to go. And he would just do stuff yeah. like that, and he would, you know, take the take the vodka back to the hotel room and just hang out for a few days, and, and that was that. But yeah, it's the whole sugar industry is wild. It's insane the amount of of profit that that is generated from from that, and specifically high fructose corn syrup. Like American comrades, look on the back of of any food product you pick up uh, at the grocery store. Odds are it's going to contain high fructose corn syrup or some derivative of it. It's an, it's insane. Like I, there was this thing a few years ago where uh, Subway got into some some hot water because they apparently they legally can't classify their bread as bread. They have to classify it as pastry because it contains so much mm. sugar. It's wild. Anyway, the, this stuff like this is why the U.S. has a major health crisis. We have both obesity and malnutrition running rampant. And this is what happens when food is just another commodity. It's made poorly, and it's made cheaply, as quickly as possible, mass-produced. You've got dozens of options, but none of them will give you the nutrition you need to live a healthy life. They're all made by the same people. Exactly, yeah, and they have the same goal. So if you remove the profit motive, if you get rid of artificial sweeteners, then hopefully, ideally, food will serve its actual purpose of mm-hmm. feeding people, keeping them alive, keeping them healthy. But that is not what we have now. Yeah, because it's the classical case of corner cutting in order to increase profits when uh, well, the market... Well, market... not at Wendy's. Those yeah. burgers are square. But... <laughs> <laughs> because the market is oversaturated <laughs> with so many Wendy's, you got, got him. you got to make the five burgers in order to win. And uh, oh you, know, you, you either charge more the way that Five Burgers does and gives like a better five quality, guys, yeah. and then Five Guys uh, and then <laughs> develops whatever. It's <laughs> like Five Burgers, Five Guys, Wendy's, Mandy's, crackers, like everything. Fucking <laughs> everything sounds Wendy's the, the not. Um, oh, but yeah, We're it's, in rare form today. No, it's alright. It's just, we're exactly on form. Hold on, by the way, can I just? Uh, uh, has been begging me to, to, to for you to do the oh my god thing. Can you just please do it? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That wasn't even a why, very good they, one, but they, yeah. yeah, I'll hit no, you when you least then, expect it. Exactly. There we go. That's what I want. But yeah, uh, something to build off on what both of you guys said though is it's kind of. I mean, I, not to take this into like a doomer pill way a little bit. <laughs> I'll try to not, but. It's very disappointing to see, especially when there are certain like specialized uh, areas um, in the world that produce something, mm-hmm. right? But these hyper, you know, uh, industrial methods kind of come into them uh, and penetrate with far cheaper commodities, far cheaper uh, food goods. And as a result, people have been doing it in a quote-unquote traditional way for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, depending on what the thing may be, uh, end up basically completely mush- pushed out of a market that they themselves created and, and, and popularized. Uh, and... What makes this even more depressing is that the stuff that replaces those more like quote unquote artisanal, right, is either um, a highly produced, like a a very cheaply, quickly produced, um, almost like bad imitations compared to what uh, the the original is supposed to be, or you get these like, uh, like, up-nosed um, artisanal stores which put ridiculous markups about stuff that mm. you know your grandma two generations ago used to go and buy for like two nickels um, <laughs> it's yeah it's a bit depressing this this you see a lot with um, not so much with vegetables but you even see this a little bit now but uh, more finished goods like uh, cheeses mm, sometimes yeah. yogurts um, any sort of sweet thing uh, has been like completely overrun by this stuff 
thankfully, in so- some parts of the world, uh, there's still that um, like culture of, of keeping that the artisanal food stuff going uh, in the real proper way, not uh, in, not in like you know some some white guy with a mustache <laughs> <laughs> opening up something that he calls artisanal. Uh, but it is also a little bit depressing uh, to, to see those those ways um, struggling to survive uh, in the face of this uh, commodification. Mm, yeah. Speaking of uh, depressing and commodification, mm-hmm. especially in the United States of America, we can move on to the next topic, which is uh, transportation. So uh, not only, you know, uh, are most cities designed uh, with cars in mind, but uh, also with uh, businesses in mind. So many centralized locations are taken up by uh, large megacorps that want to build their mega mall corporate evil tower in the parts of town, which, uh, you know, literally have the most soul driving people out to areas which are either empty, dry, or, you know, impractical. So kind of like the long-term goals for the development of transportation, in my opinion, would take, uh, would make all driving a matter of choice, not necessarily an obligation. Mm-hmm. Uh, many different varieties of so-called public transport, which in the future will just be called transport, can be, you know, <laughs> created to accommodate the needs for, you know, local short travel, citywide travel, and of course, uh, international globe-throttling travel. Uh, in the beginning, you know, only at the cost of uh, what it would take for upkeep and uh, resources needed, uh, but eventually, uh, obviously, totally, totally free. The way we see, uh, you know, walking as something that's given, the way some countries even have you completely free uh, uh, railway systems or uh, internalized metros that could potentially spread, in my opinion, to pretty much every form, uh, every form of transport. But again, because uh, number one, we are market motivated by, for example, the automobile industry to push and create uh, a world that is more set for them. We are pushed uh, by the uh, you know f- airport air- airline market uh, to you know uh, be okay with ever increasing prices or absolutely uh, shitty services like Ryan Land. Uh, sorry, Ryan Air, but it almost never goes into the actual <laughs> fucking sky. Uh, <laughs> so, the, uh, you know, uh, or Wiz Air, Misery Air, Miz Air. Uh, but, uh, nah, nah, but with all those aspects of, uh, of you know, the, the market kind of hovering over us uh, when it comes to what sort of larger societal decisions can be made about uh, transportation, uh, obviously the, the interests of uh of the everyday uh, man, woman, and envy would be put first, and that would uh, inevitably, kind of undeniably lead into uh, an alternative uh, mode to how we've got our cities and our transportation in general set up uh, set up today. I'm sure the American has a lot of passionate things to say about uh, his uh, <laughs> home country because, as we all know, it has the best infrastructure and uh, some of the greatest Oof. views mm-hmm. towards the parking lots no joke there was a backup on one of the roads i normally drive on uh the other day and it was because they had to prop up a bridge that was collapsing <laughs> and i don't i don't live oh, in like an Lord. old area or anything they just cheaped out on the oh my gosh anyway yes um we would benefit so much from public transportation we really don't have any public transportation here in the u.s except in select cities like new york 
uh, where they've got a metro system. Yeah, um, and it's, and it's like a, a mini, mini civil war going on down there, like between <laughs> yeah. between the guys singing, the guys screaming, the guys wanting to fight you, and just cops wanting to kill you. <laughs> I, I did not yeah. like it a lot. Yeah, um, it is chaos. But, like, if we could just bring back those dope little trolleys, the cute little guys that just run uh, along the, the middle of the street and, and take you across town. Uh, if we could have high-speed rail between major cities, um, it's actually been proposed in Texas for a long time, um, a rail line between Austin, Dallas, and Houston. Uh, that would majorly cut travel time and traffic between the, the, the major cities. Like, you can, I can hop in my car and drive for eight hours and still be in Texas. So if we could just have a little bit of high-speed rail, that would make it, you know, intrastate travel or even cross-country travel just so much more pleasant, so much quicker because we have a major traffic issue. Sorry for interrupting you here. I'm imagining, like, uh, you know, under-oceanic, super-fast bullet trains that get people from continent to continent in a matter of, like, three, four hours. But uh, and uh, and you guys still haven't, like, developed. Train takes (laughs) me from city A to city B. Please give me a steam engine with a cattle car. Give me some. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I want want one of those little trolleys. Like, man, America is a fifth-world country. I swear to God. We're desperate. or at least I am in Texas. I mean, there are some cities that have cool, cute little trolleys and stuff. And I, I would like to live in one of those cities because I love those things. They're adorable. Um, but also, like, city design in general is something that we really need to address. Because here in the United States, most cities, certainly all the new ones, are designed um, with cars in mind, not people. So if we if we kind of flip that on its head, if every new city was required to be or, you know, every new development was required to be walkable or people centric, then things like bicycles and scooters and so on would be much more viable. And by extension, the cities would be quieter and cooler and more pleasant. Like there are the only reason cities are unpleasant is because there are so many cars and you're always at risk of being run over and they're always honking and it's hot because there's so much concrete and there's no shade. So with the implementation of walkable city design, rail routes, and super block style housing, I think a large percentage of roads, and this is my favorite part because I am such a car guy, a large percentage of roads would immediately become largely obsolete, maybe not entirely obsolete, but largely, um, which would allow for the expansion of motorsports as a form of entertainment. So just like you have um, road courses all over the world, like Monaco, the Grand Prix, for example, that's just those are city streets that are just closed off for for races. You could have so much of that in the United States because we have so many superfluous roads. Like just thinking right now about how my um, my little suburbs is laid out. There's an amazing course that I sometimes drive like it is a road course um, that could just be closed off if we had a, a rail hub nearby. It's there's oh, there are so many things that would benefit from not having cities be designed with cars in mind. Just and even without know, cars, imagine the airplane. People the airplane, are the ones who live there. Exactly. exactly. Imagine air, on, on the airplane, you don't have to fucking break your legs every time you go sit, even though I don't know if you two can relate to that yeah. because you're not the tallest motherfuckers in the room. <laughs> but uh, no, no, one of, no. That's, uh, one of the blessings, trust me. Uh, or like uh, airports would not be as fucked up because they would be better managed and there wouldn't be like uh, fares that, you know, only fly like six people and like massively polluted that take up the mm. space that another airplane that uh, that uh, is filled up could could take 
Maybe there can be technology well enough developed that could, you know, drop people off on certain locations, etc., etc. I'm th just throwing things out of my mind that, uh, you know, would never even be considered for a millisecond because they, they, they just would lead to lower profitability than uh, than they do now. It's mm. uh, in any, any sort of improvement uh, of what we define as public transportation or private transportation nowadays, etc., etc., is just counterintuitive to the already established status quo of the market, and uh, the only way to properly improve it is by changing uh, the said status quo. That is, that's why, like, all those, like, usually entrepreneur shits, I mean, entrepreneurs uh, <laughs> propose, you know, the world is going in a bad direction, but eventually we'll think up some technological solution or whatever that's going to uh, help us all out. And then the technological solution is uh, underground tunnels for cars even though we have uh, the fucking subway i know uh, uh it's it's unless you change the core the core material motivation for for people and the core uh, the core system uh even things as uh, one would think super simple as transportation will not be able to be impacted if we look at cities that are extremely walkable and extremely uh green and extremely friendly etc cetera, etc cetera, uh be it in europe or asia and so on some cities in south america those were usually earned from uh, mass protests against uh, constant attempts at so-called urbanization, which would lead them to into uh, you know uh, being just yet another copy-paste fucking city full of uh, loud and stinky uh, uh, people and cars. Yeah. So with with transportation being done, let's drive over into oh my god, uh, JT's rubbing <laughs> off Shut on me. I kill myself. Over into work <laughs> as we always do in the early mornings of the day. Actually, not really. Like, doesn't everybody kill work me. from home except the fucking doctors and shit? Uh, well, so, so yeah, oh my god, I fucking wish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine if you could operate from home, uh, like with some just like little uh, gloves or whatever. But uh, yeah, we're moving arguably. To the spiciest and most important kind of uh, conversation point and part of life for many, which is work and what work could look like in a, in a post-capitalist society. And in my opinion, you know, uh, labor freed from alienation is kind of uh, labor which is difficult to even begin to comprehend unless you are lucky enough to work in an industry you truly care for, like a podcaster, while also having adequate <laughs> control over the direction and effort needed for that particular labor, which we podcasters don't have because the direction always goes all over the fucking place, but uh, you know, it, it the part of the population that has that is probably what, like max fucking five percent of the general pop, and for the rest, it's you know, uh, non-alienated labor is a fucking fairy tale that they've never experienced. Uh, and uh, in a world where uh, the proletariat is, uh, pardon me for the capitalist terminology, but uh, a world where the proletariat is working for itself. Uh, the picture should become uh, very different. Uh, combined with the ownership of the means of production, technological advancement, and the elimination of all unnecessary bullshit jobs, uh, what you do for a living will, you know, hopefully become a choice. Uh, imagine having a fucking choice and not just <laughs> doing it so that you don't starve or so that you can have uh, 
newer Nikes than that asshole from the floor under fucking Ivan. Those are so fucking crisp. But uh, all societally <laughs> productive labor, basically, uh, and, and again, everybody listening and liberals in the world, no, in this case, Maoists in the walls, these are, you know, fantasies <laughs> of what it potentially can be. The material reality of one day post-revolution and as socialism develops, that is what is going to define what will be. Not, we are just having a positive episode talking about our fantasies of what the socialism could look like. But yeah, imagine actually being able to choose a socially productive uh, job uh, as a career uh, option. You know, no more starving artists, no more depressed financiers that always just wanted to, I don't know, build boats. No more career choices based on revenue projection like actual choices towards what you want to fucking do uh, or what you're good at i don't know but uh, that to me is one hell of a fucking selling point for getting rid of this fucking setup that we have right now yeah i would just add um i completely agree with you Oknik, and that's why it's nice to have like this more positive uh, outlook on it but even being a lot more uh pragmatic let's say and like you know oh this is like the first year after the revolution mm. uh, you know like this stuff when it would be a lot more serious uh, i guess you could say where you'd, you'd have to deal with the contradictions of establishing a socialist society you'd have to deal with uh all the shortages that that comes with of course the the sanctioning and and, and sabotage and all and everything the whole package that socialist country is always besieged by um but something at the end of the day that's always important is you will always have some employment, number one, which is, uh, yeah, and it, it's beyond, uh, it's beyond being able to appreciate how valuable that is, because most of us have only lived in societies that have chronic unemployment mm-hmm. and probably know somebody that's unemployed and see the effect, it, the toll it takes mentally and physically on them and their families. Um, that entire aspect, the fear of just basically being like, oh, but I could be out of a job next month, like that being out of your head. Yeah. Not being a worry in your life, like I, the amount of stress that so many people have would would disappear overnight because of just that one thing. But not just this. You go to university. You go and you decide to be I don't know a. Uh, you decide to study history or philosophy or engineering or medicine or whatever you decide to choose, and then you graduate, and there will be a job for you. It's not like, for example, um. In many capitalist countries, uh, you could study something that you would personally find interesting, let's say literature, uh, and then you go and graduate, and basically you have fuck all options. You go work at Subway uh, because the there's like three uh, openings in, 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 in your local area uh, or in your region, let's say, that have room to for people who graduate from literature. Meanwhile, your class had 40 graduates, uh, so the rest of you can go fuck yourself, basically. Um, this is another aspect. And thirdly, and this is the most important one for me, is that socialism has always put... Uh, historic socialism, and I, I think uh, future socialism as well, would put, uh, has put, and would put a huge emphasis on both the quality and quantity of the specialists being produced. What do I mean by this? I mean that a good example is American hospitals. From what I've read, I've never been to the U.S. I haven't seen, I haven't been inside an American hospital, uh, but this is what I, I've read. Um, American hospitals are run on basically skeleton crews mm. most of the time. Um, as a result, this, uh, you have incredibly overworked um, uh, medical staff, both nurses and doctors, which results in basically worse patient outcomes and uh, a more uh, stressed out and, and, and burnt out personnel base. Meanwhile, there are higher profits for the particular hospital. And this is reproduced even in more public systems uh, across Europe sometimes. Not to the same extent as the US, though, but it does exist. Uh, and this just kind of reinforces that idea that... Um, under socialism, 
as it used to exist and as it would exist in the future, not only would the particular quality of education be focused on, but also the, the sheer amount of people graduating. Um, that's what, for example, Cuba uh, has the, the most amount of doctors per capita on Earth. That's why the Soviet Union had basically one-fourth of all doctors on Earth. Likewise, with basically every other uh, socialist country, with few exceptions. Vietnam has is one of those exceptions, but it's for much more deep reasons uh, that I don't have time to get into right now. But um, how this relates to my personal life is... Uh, I work as a physician, and I go and I work in my local hospital, and I see the things that need to be done. And every single issue we have, without fault, boils down to, if we had more personnel, this wouldn't be an issue. Mm. Um, even things related to funding, when I, at the end of the day, it would be, if we just had more people, if I just had a few more hands on on deck, mm. uh, if that's even the correct statement, mm -hmm. then this would not be a fucking issue. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but... Uh, doctors specifically medical professionals in general but doctors specifically have the highest um dropout rate like uh where where somebody will study to be a doctor work for like six years ten years and then completely change careers to, to change something else uh not only this but also doctors have uh one of the highest suicide rates uh, amongst uh and these these are these are values based on uh, american statistics mm -hmm. and i completely understand why that is the case thinking about how it could possibly be of course like in where i'm at we have our own shortages but uh, they're i think slightly more different than the ones that exist in the u.s regardless all this would not be an issue under socialism despite all the you know siege uh, characteristic uh, characteristics of said socialism most likely so my answer just like to the tldr of all this is it's a very pragmatic my life as a physician would be easier and your life most likely would be easier just by sheer amount of people to, to, to be able to help you instead. But yeah, sorry, you got no, to no, 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 that, that was lovely, uh, beautifully put, and especially even as as he said in the in the first years, uh, post revolution and post establishment of uh, uh, of dictatorship of proletariat or socialism. But uh, uh, and men, but many people like in the walls are already asking, okay, but where are you going to find those uh, those people that are going to be filling those positions? Those people are already there, my friend. They are the 40-50% of uh, bullshit mm -hmm. jobs that they don't want to even work at, but they have chosen to pursue yeah, those particular exactly. ca careers in basically what could be defined as uh, bureaucrats upkeeping like uh, the capitalist market system. Uh, they, they, when, if they were given an actual choice on uh, what sort of field to develop in, while not being uh, only stimulated by what I mentioned earlier, you know, pr projected future gross revenue, they would go into fields like uh, helping people, uh, like uh, building fucking bridges that don't fall behind JT's cul-de-sac, uh, etc. Et <laughs> there are more than when you'll see in the other topics that we covered today, there are more than enough uh, individuals who would much rather spend their life free of alienation uh, which are going to fill up uh, fill up these particular positions, or at least will be motivated to choose to fill up these particular positions, because obviously they would want to rather pick that than uh, you know fucking insanely mind-numbing uh, office jobs, which they today pick only because again higher estimated uh, revenue projection. Yeah, and just one final thing to, to mention before we move on, um, a couple little bullet points. We haven't even talked about automation, like the, the idea that we could, I mean, we already have so much uh, understanding of how to automate work with various forms of machinery, whether it's, you know, software or ooh, big scary AI or um, like car production, stuff like that. And uh, production lines, you have machines that, that do the, the manual labor that, that used to be done by humans. Right now, all that does is... 
uh, increase the precarity of the average worker because you could be replaced by a robot. And being replaced by a robot is a bad thing under capitalism because you are not guaranteed any standard quality of life. You are just guaranteed <laughs> to, to starve. But under a, a system where the profit motive has been eliminated, being replaced by a robot is not a bad thing. That's just, you know, tedious work that's taken out of the hands of human beings. Mm. And then, the, of course, the right now also the, these robots or whatever automated machinery only serves to enrich the, the owners of that machinery. But that's, that's just one thing. It's a, that could be a topic in itself. Uh, another thing that to, uh, to touch on would be reasonable work-life balance. Right now, obviously, most mm. people are overworked in some capacity. Uh, most people are, are <laughs> not really, yeah, poor Hakeem. Most people are not allowed to really clock out ever because the, their boss will text them on their day off and say, hey, we're short-staffed, we need you to come in. They're like, but it's my kid's birthday. Oh, sorry, well, we really need you to come in. All right, see you soon. That would not be a thing anymore. Um, <laughs> thank God I remember that when I worked at Best mm. Buy. Um, and then there's just one fun thing, and I was too lazy to go look it up, but I, at one point I read an anecdote that was really cool. It was a, a this it was a story by this guy who who worked in the same factory in Russia before and after the revolution. And he was just explaining mm-hmm. how much better his life was and how much better he felt and how much more invested he felt in the success of that factory simply because he had a stake in it now. Before, he was just a cog in the machine that could be cast aside. He could he could die and his boss wouldn't care or whatever. But now he's a valued part of that operation he has a stake in it he's Mm. you know an owner of it he's so his work becomes meaningful and that is something that would happen even in jobs that we consider to be tedious today suddenly you're like oh i'm providing a valuable service and Mm -hmm. then this is this is good this is benefiting society it's also benefiting me and i'm also not having to work soul crushing hours this it's just vastly better across the board Absolutely. With alienation gone, uh, the whole human spirit regains its original form, in my opinion. It, it, it is what you remember when you were, you know, eight or nine and before you were uh, completely uh, burned out of your innocence through the introduction of uh, how ideologized the, the, the world is and through what ideology it's uh, seen as, you know, that not not innocence but that complete sense of uh, of freedom uh, of where your life can potentially go uh, I think would come back with the elimination of uh, of alienation which comes even at the earliest stages of, uh, of socialist development um, but speaking of alienation and uh, not having any of them let's talk about friendships and interhuman connection a <laughs> uh, bit of a broad topic I guess but still pretty important we had uh, independent episodes covering shit like uh, like family uh, romance and so on I made a video on how capitalism uh, makes you into uh, uh, a lonely little asshole yes you can blame capitalism that no girl likes you but uh, in general, uh, I don't know, my kind of little fantasy here, uh, or whatever you want to call it, is that when class you know, no longer plays a role, 
in who we choose for partners or friends. Uh, there's no longer a need to tolerate annoying, uh, you know, uh, handsy John from work. No need to uh, dump that uh, cute uh, girl because, I don't know, she doesn't make 100K a year. Uh, there's higher chances of meeting someone with actual similar interests and passions because, you know, we're not totally segregated based on income brackets and industries. Uh, knowing fully that, you know, someone is with you because they actually care for you instead of some sort of archaic, weird, transactional value that they can get out of you. Basically, true friendship, uh, reborn for so many who, as funny as it is, can't afford it uh, at the moment and sometimes very realistically can't afford it at the moment because uh, try and go see a friend without uh, spending money. Uh, try and meet somebody <laughs> outside of your uh, caste, uh, you know, outside of your income bracket in your neighborhood. You probably can't because the, the you're living amongst people in the same income bracket, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are many direct and indirect ways through which class can, uh, the solution of uh, the bourgeois proletarian class dynamic uh, would lead to uh, obviously a much deeper, a much more natural uh, connection between, uh, between people. Yeah, I mean, currently nothing in life, you know, under capitalism, that is, um, is built around the goal of human flourishing. If we address a lot of the other issues that we've already touched on, you know, transportation, city design, work, food, etc., that will inevitably improve the conditions in which we form and experience friendship and social interaction, mm -hmm. in my opinion. You'll have more time, a healthier lifestyle, You'll, you'll have more ability to move around freely and easily. You'll have more places that aren't profit-centric to go. Like like you you just said, Yugopnik, imagine going somewhere and not having to spend money to experience it. Just think about how difficult that is now. Like if I leave my house and I go to, to do an outing with my friends. They're starting nowhere... to charge for parks. They're starting to charge NGPs yes. for mm. parks. Sorry, please continue. But Jesus Christ. No, you're right. Exactly. There's literally nowhere we can go to just hang out and not have to spend money. Like when, I mean, when I was a kid, we'd drive around, you know, past midnight or whatever, and we'd hop the fence to go into to parks and stuff. But like as an adult who doesn't want to get arrested and things like that, it's it's very, very hard to find ways to hang out with friends that aren't either you going to their place or them coming to your place and playing a board game or something. You can't go out without spending money because all of these places that you go are isolated bubbles of capital that are designed to extract money from you in exchange for you being able to exist in that place. And that is something that would be gone uh, after, <laughs> after the Glorious Revolution destroys uh, all the McDonald's in America. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's something that to an extent has been taken away from you because like yeah. um, uh, in uh, developing countries, et cetera, et cetera, at least I can talk about my part of the world, uh, going to a particular place uh, where people are either communing over a particular hobby or a particular interest or just a regular, you know, communal space where people sit to, to eat and drink and so on. Going and introducing yourself to someone doesn't immediately mean you want to fuck them. You actually want to make new friends. 
friends, uh, people uh, from one table hollering at the other table in a non-violent uh, manner, but uh, trying to inspire a wider communal friendship and, you know, basically fancy way of saying more people hanging out, more people getting to know each other is extremely, extremely common. I mean, some of the places that, uh, but extremely common, but dying out, dying off as we previously mm-hmm. set up. But usually there's a few bars that are more like tap rooms than even bars that uh, whenever I go to, I, I meet somebody new. Like, I don't know, last week I met some Irish dude that works for like an aircraft transportation company. Like, what the fuck? And I learned, I, did, I completely forgot. There's actually aircraft that just transport shit. It's not all just through trains and shit. I completely, like, mm. I used to see it on, on, on you know, on uh, UPS delivery, but I never think about it. And there's a whole industry and people that work in it. And he told me, and he told me about like the labor organization in this company, blah, blah, blah. The completely new person that they met completely randomly uh, that, uh, you know, exchange contacts with and they like, can potentially, you know, get closer with. Uh, as as time moves on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like what I'm trying to say here is that these, just as Hakim pre- like earlier mentioned about you know uh, domestic uh, food produce and more artisanal places and so on. Like these communal spaces for where uh, people can meet other people, without, where they can expand their friend group, uh, which probably sounds super insane to a lot of people who unfortunately are so lonely that they have absolutely no fucking friends. And Yugopnik is here talking about you know expanding it to, to over like ten people, uh, but mm-hmm. no. It is absolutely is possible, and those sorts of spaces absolutely do exist. But they, you know, usually there you go, you what, you drink two beers, but you spend like six hours fucking talking. That's not extremely profitable for the fucking bar owner. They want you to get the nachos. They want you to get like ten beers and get fucking shit face. They they want you sitting in little on little segregated tables instead of on the bar, so that you can uh, you can only concentrate it to the one particular person that you that you came there with, so that uh, together with them you can show them just how materially capable you are by buying more and more drinks and covering the tap etc etc i'm going off topic but you get the point it's it's not that you know uh, a post-capitalist society will uh invent uh, a, a structure in which you know people can meet uh, and uh, expand uh, you know both uh, their understanding of themselves and their their friend group. It's that it will bring it back because we have lost it due to the commercialization of some of the most sacred things in existence, which is interhuman uh, connection and uh, mm-hmm. and respect and love and so on. So uh, uh, the proletariat has nothing to lose but their chains and mm-hmm. more. <laughs> uh, you know, people-friendly pubs uh, to gain people-friendly pubs. If you know what the fuck yes. I mean. Yeah, it's uh, it's just sad. It's annoying. It, it, it's it's. I go to fucking Boston like six months ago and shit, and it's like eight p.m. and every at eight thirty and everything closes. Everybody oh, needs yeah. to needs to fucking leave. Like it's it is so strange. Why? Because they need to fu- the fucking drones need to go to bed so they're productive tomorrow. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fucking degenerate to say the least. And like speaking of, you know, social groups, et cetera, et cetera, a small point that we can kind of touch on is that, you know, when everything doesn't revolve around making more money to pay off the fucking mortgage, maybe, and just maybe, people will begin to organize over their passions more often than they uh, do now. I mean, even with the 40-hour work week and total, you know, brain-dead alienation, we still manage to make our little clubs, our societies, our movements. People go, I don't know, LARP, go airsoft 
go snowboard, build different organizations for mutual support, like women's groups, uh, support groups for people with disabilities, and so on and so on. Managing and leading these groups could very well one day even become someone's job and participating in them uh, an even greater pleasure than what it is today because you most likely will, will have a bit more time and possibly... Um, and it is now because, well, effort is actually put into making your life less uh, heavy instead uh, of your bosses with all labor output that you uh, that you that you put out there. Um, but uh, that kind of, you know, we mentioned hobbies and so on, takes us into kind of like a a big chunk of what uh, most of us spend our time on to uh, in this life, and that is entertainment and art, basically film, fiction writing, video games, sport, fashion. What would that look like in uh, mm. in a world alternative to uh, to this one? And I guess I can start with what my view of the direction art would take in would be, I think it would literally reach another renaissance. The number of Van Goghs that are probably working in convenience stores today may, should make us all fucking want to vomit. Art re-entering the public arena, filling our museums, our minds, and becoming a common good will not only motivate the artists of the future, but as we said previously, will allow them to actually pursue it as a legitimate career choice instead of dreading if they'll earn enough money for rent. And not only that, imagine the amount of our world's heritage that is stuck in private collections, often not even displayed, these motherfuckers, or read out loud, but mm. instead used as a financial tool by the world's wealthiest yeah. Nazi pedophiles on their fucking islands. <laughs> I mean, imagine those collections flooding public halls, uh, uh, looted imperialist shit be being taken back to uh, their original homelands and being made available to all i mean i'm i'm fucking gushing just thinking about it no beautifully put it's another it's another thing where it's like um beauty in all its regards and access in all its regards is only kept uh, despite despite that okay of course art has a class character so you can't say that art is for everybody but the vast majority of artists who are worth their salt particularly of the 20th century but even longer back they did art either for themselves uh, or for just society in general. And the only reason that they kind of used to have to suck up to people who had wealth is because those were the only people who would patron them. Mm -hmm. Those are the only people who would pay for their living expenses so they could yeah. actually continue doing art, right? And exactly like the opening said, once you divorce this 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 uh, connection between artistic freedom and artistic expression from the need to be basically funded by some, uh, as you mentioned, Nazi pedophile, <laughs> then you can actually see a proper... Uh, like uh, opening uh, or access to this more than we've ever seen before, which will allow, for example, people, regular people to beautify their cities and beautify their environments and communities uh, in ways that are both in line with whatever they consider beautiful, as well as in line with their cultural background and whatnot. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's so much potential there for positive development, if only we just give it room. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, but no, no, uh, the profit motive, guys. <laughs> the fuck, it all comes back to the motherfucker. Yeah. What was that fucking Seinfeld quote? I mean, even like shit like, you know, fashion, which is kind of taboo. I know every time I fucking uh, mention it anywhere on Twitter, especially with communists. But, you know, it would no longer be guided by the financially motivated trends or the pursuit of sell more and more garbage like fucking the H&Ms of the world. You know, true expression through clothing will become valued again as, you know, whether your garments are worn or not will rely on what? On the like artistic beauty that it carries and the love and elation it evokes in the eyes of the beholder and not just, oh, it sells a lot because it's from a famous brand, you know? Items will actually be chosen and developed to suit both the practical and expressionistic needs of individuals and, and communities and will be worn as such instead of as like tacky street signs that you attach to your fucking chest exemplifying who has wealth and who fucking uh, doesn't. So something as, as, as mm. even as one would, could say commodified as the, the fashion or the fashion industry or call it whatever the fuck, even in, in its name it kind of eludes that it follows trends or whatever the fuck. Once it is removed from, uh, from uh, the ideologized uh, vision of it as a status symbol it is given an absolutely new field in which it can uh, in which it can potentially thrive and through which it can express itself as you know we can call it an art form or an industry or whatever floats your uh, floats your boat but uh, enough about artsy schmartsy shit uh, JT tell us what, how you see like uh, board games or video games etc etc developing mm. in this uh, in this commie dystopia is everything just gonna be like all the fiction all the fiction all the video games games is you know just uh, people shooting uh, like f uh, um that uh, meme of a of a capitalist or might yes. there be something more to it yes yeah fuck that was the answer <laughs> i wanted yeah mm -hmm. uh well it, it's interesting we have this on here because one um the other day someone a patron on either the deprogram server or or the second thought server asked what magic the gathering would look like uh, oh. under a, a socialist economy which it's very interesting to me because I love I love magic. I'm a big nerd. Um, I've got something like, mm -hmm. I don't know, 30, 34 commander decks, something like that. It's a lot of cards. What so the fuck? right now, how it works for people who aren't aware, uh, Magic the Gathering is made by Wizards of the Coast, which is a very shitty company. They've been in the news recently. <laughs> uh, you've probably seen. But they... Um, Okay, there's a lot to go over. <laughs> so there, there are multiple formats you can play with Magic. One of them is called Standard. Um, the, in Standard, you are only allowed to play with cards from the last three sets that have been released. So that's, I think, a year's worth of cards. Anything before that is no longer eligible to be played, which is a great way to to keep people buying the the booster packs, buying the the boxes of, of new cards and stuff. Uh, it generates a lot of revenue for the company, and they also do something where they will not reprint cards in new sets, which drives up the price of the cards that have been printed. So they're creating ah. this artificial scarcity for, you know, mm -hmm. this piece of cardboard that is no more valuable than this other piece of cardboard, you know. So one of them's $500 for a card that's never been reprinted versus a card that's, you know, 12 cents because it's reprinted every every new set. So if we got rid of the profit motive, there is no reason that 
Magic the Gathering and other games couldn't be more accessible. So for example, what I do now and what I recommend a lot of people do is to create proxies of the cards if you're not playing in tournaments. So a proxy is just a version of the card that is not official. It's very, very easy to get cards printed. Uh, I don't um, This podcast does not endorse piracy in any way. <laughs> yeah. This is just uh, rhetorical <laughs> speaking. I'm sorry. It, hypothetically, yes, one could easily go and get cards printed. There are websites that do that, and uh, all of my decks are on nicer card stock than official magic cards. Like the, You'll see people complain about how Wizards of the Coast cards bend like Pringles, and it's, it's because they use cheap materials. But anyway, what I could... I could see this working like the new and improved Wizards of the Coast would put all of the card art formatted uh, correctly for printing on a database available to everyone. People could then submit like a CSV document of the cards that they wanted or a text file. It would download those uh, those images. You would then put that into a, a print order and those cards would be printed, cut, and delivered to you for vastly cheaper than having to go out and individually buy all of these cards. Um, mm, that's cool. the way a proxy workflow works today. And I can I can get like, I don't know, four Magic decks, which is 400 cards, for like 100 bucks, including $20 of shipping and sleeves and stuff. So it's versus spending multiple thousands of dollars if I were to do that legitimately. Hypothetically, of course, this is how it would <laughs> work. Um, <laughs> so you see this, the artificial scarcity would be eliminated and you would be able to play against other players' creativity rather than their wallets. So you'd have a lot of this, you know, the pay-to-win um, aspect of a lot of games done away with. And I think that would be a huge benefit because most people just don't have thousands of dollars to spend to build the perfect magic deck or, or you know, whatever game it is. So that, I think, um, would apply to, to a lot of things in a, in a non-profit-driven economy. And I think that would be such a positive thing for for people to be able to engage with the, the the franchises or the games that they enjoy without having to to think okay I need to save for you know 5 months and then maybe I can I can skimp and eat ramen for a few weeks to buy this one card that I really like that is that is not any more valuable in terms of materials than any of these other yeah. cards but yeah I I think it's a very fascinating um, a fascinating thing, and it, it would be a huge monumental shift in how entertainment works and is provided. It's interesting how in the Pokemon world that they don't buy the Pokemon that they play with, and yet <laughs> it still works, even though mm-hmm. it gets fucked up and they basically turn into a small fascist world where they misuse this, these animals for massive like uh, <laughs> uh, cock measuring contests, where you know who who has the better, bigger, stronger, thicker, more juicy Pokemon. But uh, but no, it's 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 it's. Uh, thinking that uh, you can the only way to achieve scarcity in a game in which you know not everyone can have the strongest cards because then it, you would be OP is fucking stupid because as JT beautifully put it doesn't fucking work and then that uh, spent over on video games in general for example in my opinion every single video game console uh, joystick should have like an electric shock in it and whenever somebody says the <laughs> n-word or tells a girl to go to the kitchen it should proceed to yeah. electrocute the 
him on the spot. Uh, but uh, th- that is uh, that is just me. Uh, but speaking of extremely serious topics such as such as video games, uh, let's lead into the two last topics of uh, today's version of this episode because maybe there can be versions of it in the future because there's so many things that can potentially be covered mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. be positive about. We move into the meaning of life. Uh, but uh, nah, jokes aside, <laughs> you know, the question of what do we do with the freedom to uh, pursue whatever we define as purpose in this post-capitalist society. And, you know, to me, the the greatest crime of capitalism, which at this point is people's fucking ears are ringing of us repeating it, alienation, uh, is that it cuts us off from the pursuit of uh, meaning. It, it cuts us off from arguably the greatest adventure we could ever have, the, the search for who we are and what we are meant to do or how we are meant to give back. Uh, with, with that gone, with, uh, with more time given, with greater choice over our own destiny, hopefully more people, if not all people, could find that which is truly fulfilling for them, that which makes their you know, hearts beat and their eyes widen and no I'm not talking about fucking cocaine you know true <laughs> adventure something most of us haven't felt since as I said previously we were eight void of knowledge over the harsh realities of the current uh, ruling ideology capitalism tells you there is just one purpose and that's mm. beating the game of capitalism climbing the ladder being the biggest A post-capitalist world, in my opinion, tells you it's on you to discover what your purpose is and that freedom is, you know, uh, worth a bit more than uh, maybe having a fucking Starbucks. But okay, enough about the liberal mentality of the individual. What about, you know, wider social purpose? What would our species in general uh, choose to, you know, pursue? As someone coming from uh, the country that is at the forefront of the world and pushing us into the future, <laughs> you guys even have a space force, which whatever people make fun of, but that's kind. Of, no, it's 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 in the future. All the other nations will be jealous. But uh, nah, uh, jokes aside, as a representative of our whole species, the person who lives in the main mm. game, not the DLC. JT, what oh, do no. you think the wider <laughs> social purpose would be uh, after uh, we uh, fulfill the current one? which is obviously the total and complete annihilation of the bourgeois class. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm saying this as a, a giant sci-fi fan. I love Star Trek, love The Expanse, all that stuff. Um, maybe I'm being too sentimental here, but I do think humans are built to be explorers. We still have a lot to learn about the more extreme places on Earth, like uh, like the deepest depths of the ocean, um, things like that. But I do think space exploration would be a logical next step. Um, From a practical standpoint, under a socialist system, we could equitably make use of the abundant resources that could be mined from space, like helium is a a big one, uh, various metals uh, from asteroids, things like that. There are already plans to to, to do this, um, but right now they're centered around, okay, who's going to get there first? Who's going to become the first trillionaire by mining an asteroid? And And it's just like... We don't need to do that. We don't need to enrich a single person to godlike status when we could just say, hey, that asteroid over there has got a bunch of useful materials. Let's go grab that. Then we can build XYZ. 
But mm-hmm. then there's the eventual possibility of ensuring our species' survival against a cataclysmic event, like uh, an extinction-level mm. asteroid strike, by establishing human settlements on other planets or moons or maybe even massive space stations. That would be wild. Um, these are all like super far-off possibilities, but it is something to work towards because I think that would make sense once we have figured out mostly how Earth works, it would be a logical next step to say, all right, it's time to expand, to ensure the future. Oh, gosh, I'm going to say the words <laughs> to, to you know, whatever the words are, <laughs> to, to make sure we don't go yeah. extinct, basically, by, by you know, setting up a little base of operations off Earth in case we get bonked by a meteor. <clears throat> exactly right. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And of course, as JT said, but to reinforce it, um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our current plans. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. Just imagine like that argument. The same like, uh, why, why don't you tip the waitress? Oh, because that's going to uh, make her more pissed off at capitalism. Or like a guy goes and like just pollutes, like dumps asbestos in all the lakes around the city. And they're like, comrade, what are you doing? And he's like, I am doing it for cause, of course. Uh, yeah. The more pollution the faster we get into space uh it is a good point that is a good point that hakeem brings up though because like there are a lot of people who you know usually elon musk stands who are like all right we're done with earth we're going to mars like why this is a paradise this was this is it could not have been designed better for us i mean obviously Mm. you know you can look at this in science and we developed on it's not it was made for us etc it's boring you know uh Mm. disclaimer but like you can't just give up on the best place we have ever known the best Mm. place we can even see with our most advanced telescopes you know we have to deal with the problems we have here while also looking to the future and seeing what we can do beyond earth especially as the problems are causing the death of this planet or the ones that are damaging us so much are based on the stupidity of just mm. profit for profit's sake. Yep. It's not for any. There's no higher cause, and no, it's just literally line go up until the uh, until the species goes extinct. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And the joke used to be, you know, line go up until species goes extinct. So that would probably motivate the people who say line go up to not make the line go so much up that we go that we go extinct. But no, they said no line go up, and then when these motherfuckers go extinct, I just hop on my fucking rocket and I leave. And I set up a new society where I want line to go up. You know, it's 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 uh, it is not a uh, uh, snake eating its own ass, quite literally. Uh, but no, to me, the, the, like just imagining the beauty of the of the world and the expansion that our species could achieve uh, one day. Uh, again, just like all the previous topics that we mentioned, um, motivates me massively. Even though obviously not even our great 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 grandchildren will probably uh, will probably see it. I don't know the steps that I see being taken before that. Obviously, is uh, you know having a properly internationalist uh, world after the revolution has happened absolutely everywhere. Obviously, then George Soros and the Jews will come and they will rule us all as we planned from <laughs> the, from the fucking get. I don't know why everybody's like so afraid world government. Like in almost all of the like right-wing conspiracy theories, the main thing that they go out with is like world government as if that's like, yeah. what, you prefer your fucking Banana Republic guy like fucking shooting the other Banana Republic guy. It's already one class. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah you know, why? Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like you're so, they're so close. They're so close <laughs> to actually understanding things but, you know, it's incredible. the stupidity reels the back end. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But also uh, you know, it's probably interesting to Hakim. it's very important to 
while looking out towards the stars in the far future, also to look, you know, inwards, developing, you know, safe and ethical ways of quite literally now, okay, now I'm fantasizing too hardcore, but even eliminating disease, elongating life for obviously those who want to, you know, uh, as kind of uh, a moment where we could, you, you know, take a step outwards from even uh, yeah. what we define as the limitations of being human yeah. today. Yeah. That, that's all for the very, very far future. If it will ever be possible, I don't think it will ever be possible personally. No, shut up! I want to live one... forever! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Heavy. One of the greatest mercies of life is death. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I didn't mean that in a macabre way. Yeah. It, just, yeah. it just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> God, I can't wait to die. <laughs> I mean, unironically, yeah, yeah. but yeah. In, in a positive way, yeah, though. Yeah, this yeah. is called being death positive, all right? You came from a place, you'll return to it. And there's a peacefulness mm. and, a, and a wisdom to it. But I'm not going to get... Um, this is for a different podcast entirely. The most pressing needs uh, for us, despite everything that we just said right now, is to actually get the ball rolling for this mm. change that would be required so that we can bring this world that we envision into reality. And this is something that um, has been said, it's such a tired point said over and over again, but, you know, agitate, idiot, organize, get get to work, mm. <laughs> basically. That's what that means. Uh, and before we'll even be able to see a sliver of, of, of the these things that we hope to see, there's going to be a lot more work and all, a lot more sacrifice mm. and a lot more just bullshit we have see, to This is with. why communists always lose, because we're honest and we're like, this is going to be work. The Nazis <laughs> just come to you like, yeah. we are actually alien super species. If we kill all other species, mm. we become dominant. <laughs> Planet expand by five yeah. times and everybody claps. Communists talk about something yeah. positive immediately. You know, one of them raises their finger and they're like, You'll yes, yes, but this is going to be <laughs> very difficult. You know, this is going to be very, yeah, we got to have to do the math. Fucking nice throwback. But Jesus mm. Christ, no, he's completely right. Just, uh, <laughs> just Christ. Do we have, uh, you know, our mm. honesty and us actually giving a fuck about what we're preaching kind of mm. uh, fucking us in the ass. So with that being said, uh, and uh, with hard work being mentioned, uh, it is not that easy to uh, make these shows happen and happen on a regular basis. We are three dudes from completely three different parts of the planet. But the reason we can move stuff around in order for this show to actually have resources behind it and to actually uh, be produced properly in such a manner, if you can define this as properly, it is only thanks to our <laughs> wonderful, wonderful supporters over on Patreon who get many different benefits such as early episodes completely bonus episodes or our very very special hubby tier dudes and chicks and nbs that we actually hang out with on the monthly basis so with that being said check out those links below in case you want to uh, support us that way or alternatively uh you can buy a super cool drip uh, uh in the form of our merch uh check and, out the merch different boy accessories check out the merch. So down below mm -hmm. we still can't build i still can't believe that it's still selling and selling like hotcakes probably in a you know shout out to the in a, a few months we might start doing like smaller obviously but uh constant releases smaller uh, limited releases of, uh, mm. uh, of future merch and so on so look out for that and uh, I don't want to bore you anymore with all that being said hopefully uh, you will leave today's episodes a bit more motivated towards uh, mm -hmm. what life can sure. be like and towards what uh, direction the world can can go into obviously Hakim in my brain now saying with lots of lots of work uh, but <laughs> with all exactly that being right, said yes, mm -hmm. thanks for listening everyone this has been the deprogram i'm jt i'm hakeem i'm yugopnik and 
literally tomorrow we're going to space. Like, I, I guarantee you, just, just join the <laughs> party, like, like right now. <laughs>